I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, and George Belshaw of Metro Dakota, UK. Yes, that ukulele, well it's not ukulele actually, but you know, that's the magic of radio, it means it is another Love Tennis Podcast. I'd like to be joined by George. Now, the magic of radio means we don't have to talk about it, but George is sporting... <laughs> Quite the black eye. I'm told this is the nightlife that Birmingham can, supp- can supply you with these days. I think I've retired from my appearances in the uh, late night scene in Birmingham. That way. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very sore, but I'm okay now. I can I'm tell recovered. you, dear listener, it's not nice to look at, um, no. <laughs> and I have zero sympathy. Uh, but George's modelling days are over. But anyway tennis is what we're here to talk about not George's lovely mug and uh, I was lucky enough to have a chat with Anki Othavong George missed it because he was in hospital <laughs> literally uh, and I started by asking her how excited she was to be able to captain the GB side in a home fed cup tie yeah I'm super excited um, I see this as a fantastic opportunity um, for the fed cup team but also for British tennis and the British tennis fans um, bringing um, you know a very historic competition to the UK something we haven't had for so long, um, it gives us a great platform to showcase the very best of British women's tennis and international tennis. Um, and also for the players, you know, it gives them an opportunity to play in front of a, a home crowd in a different type of environment. It's a team event. Um, and, uh, yeah, there are any positives. Obviously, it's sort of strange that someone like you had such a sort of glittering career in British tennis, never played a home Fed Cup tie in your career. Is there a little bit of you that just goes... Oh, I wish this was me being out there as a player. <laughs> well, this is the next best thing as captain of the team. Um, you know, Fed Cup's always been a special competition uh, for me as a player, and now having the opportunity to captain such a, a, a great group of girls, um, you know, I, I see it as a real privilege, and, um, you know, I'm happy to share this journey with them, and I know uh, with our current players, this is something, um, well, since I've been involved anyway, we've been desperate to to have 
um, you know, the past two years making it out of the group playoff, but unfortunately, um, you know, the luck hasn't gone our way in terms of um, getting that home tie. Um, but I see this as the next best thing, um, and they'll still get to experience uh, what the, our Davis Cup guys have been able to experience for so long over the last few years. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking to all the players, everyone um, is up for it. Um, you know, it creates competition, I guess, for places in the team as well, which is also a good thing. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just something very, uh, that we all have to look forward to together. You've obviously, you're in a lucky position as Fed Cup captain. I can't remember women's tennis having quite this much depth in some time. Obviously, Conta, Joe Conta's established herself as a top player. Heather Watson looks like she's coming back into the mix. And then there's this group of, of young players, who all of whom seem to have the ability to go really far in the game. With that group, where do you see this GB team fitting themselves into world tennis, you know, once you can move up the rankings? Um, you know, like you've mentioned, uh, we have the strength and depth now. Katie Bolter, Katie Swan, Gabby Taylor, Harriet Dart, um, Katie Dunn, you know, all have achieved career high rankings this year and they're only going to improve. Um, you know, we, we need that nationally, I guess, um, to, to have that competition because that will help drive um, the players when they're competing week in, week out um, to have that um, I guess domestic competition because they all want to do better than um, the other um, but equally they all get on really well which is nice to see um, so you've got a good group of girls who not only uh, get on with each other but they're able to push each other they're able to compete and, and put certain things to the side um, and uh, you know it's healthy for women's tennis I understand that you've been on court with a couple of them this morning. How often do you find yourself in that role as a mentor and a coach during the year as well as just when you get together for Fed Cup-specific events? Yeah, um, I'd love to get on court more often, to be honest, um, but I have my commentary and TV commitments. Um, and But where I can in between, um, you know, the National Tennis Centre isn't too far from where I live, so... Uh, when the players are around, um, I like to come down, get on court, where I can, if I can, hit a few balls but um, <laughs> with them, but uh, I'm off the pace these days. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're such a, they're a great group of girls um, who are hungry to learn and, and happy to receive uh, feedback. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, it's nice to feel like you're playing uh, a small part in uh, their development. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about Joe Conta, who's obviously the leader within that team. I know it's been a difficult year. Do you see that as a one of those things that happens when you reach a you know such a high? You know, she got to world number four. Was there almost like a a pressure of expectation that weighed on her a bit, and then there's almost an an inevitable reversion there because it's so competitive in the singles game at the moment. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, some things are inevitable. Last year, 2017, was a standout year for her, and um, she showed us all uh, what type of tennis she's capable of producing, and it's still there. You know, you don't lose that type of quality tennis um, overnight. You know, it's just for her, I guess, it's um, sticking sticking to the things that she knows best, sticking to what wor- works, um, not allowing there to be too many distractions. Um, and, you know, although the ranking has dropped, I don't see why next year, um, you know, she can't improve and, um, you know, produce some of that tennis she, she showed us all she was capable of last year. Obviously, what we all want is to see 
Joe Conta winning Grand Slams. I think that as British tennis fans, as tennis fans, we'd love to see it. Which of the four do you think she perhaps is most likely to make that breakthrough at? Um, well... I only um, ask big questions, Anne, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, you know, she's... Well, it's not going to be the French Open. Mm. Um, (laughs) But... uh, you know, the other the other slams. Um, you know, she she plays well. She has a good record on hard courts. She's done well at the Aussie Open. Um, you know, the home support she gets on the grass at, at Wimbledon is it, something um, she can really use to her advantage. Um, and you know, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly where, but she's definitely um, amongst, uh, I guess, a large number of um, players who are capable of winning slams. I think. Women's tennis, you know, where we're at currently, there is a, you know, there is a lot of depth in women's tennis, and it's really unpredictable on a week-to-week basis. Mm. Um, you know, I commentate on most of the WTA events, and I can't, I don't think at the start of the week, I, I can predict who's going to be lifting the trophy. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I know that you know, feeling, she, getting she, predictions she, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she, she's um, in the mix, you know, and that's a great place to be as one of the contenders. And, um, you know, there, there hasn't really been anyone at the top of the game she hasn't had wins over. Hmm. You, you mentioned that home support, and obviously with the Fed Cup home tie, you've got the chance to experience that over the course of a week. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the various different team formats that so many different stakeholders are throwing at the game at the moment. Do you think this this Fed Cup format is the best of the sort of bunch in terms of the way it constructs itself over the week? No. I mean, I, I think I've been vocal in the past about how I feel, uh, I feel very strongly how Davis, uh, sorry, Fed Cup needs to come in line with Davis Cup. Mm. I think, um, you know, these two team events are probably um, the most important in tennis. Um, the most prestigious, they've been going on for a long time and I think for players and for fans it'd be a lot more easier if uh, the two competitions can come come together um, and share a similar format. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I understand for the ITF things are never straightforward um, but I do live in hope that things will change um, and we'll see Fed Cup uh, come into line with Davis Cup. Is that the big problem, really, with tennis at the moment, that there are too many different people running different parts of it? It it would be easier if there was more cohesion between them. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people involved in tennis feel that um, this is probably the worst it's been for a long time. Um, And I don't understand how the ITF, ATP and WTA can't work together better, um, you know, for the sake of tennis. and I think some decisions have been quite, well, short-sighted. Um, and I think, you know, in the interest of the game, um, in, in the interest of growing the game and building the fan base, um, I think uh, those three bodies need to work better together. I suppose the problem is as well, when Gerard Piquet turns up with a billion-dollar deal, it's very hard for anyone to say no to it, right? Well, yeah, I guess if you were writing me that check, it'd be hard for me to turn it down. <laughs> um, yeah. But right. it's it's just um, I think it's just more um, clarity. I think people want to see, want to know what's going on, what what the plans are. Um, and I do understand, you know, the ITF are, are still trying to figure it out. That but it requires the help of 
ATP and WTA as well to work together in terms of what weeks are made available for what. Mm. Um, I understand, you know, as much as I'd like to believe it, it could be straightforward. I, I do realise realistically there are lots of um, a lot of people, uh, sponsors involved. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I want to think. Uh, just come back finally to this Fed Cup week itself in February. How do you? Th- what do you think will be the biggest challenge for the girls going into that? Obviously, playing in front of a home crowd like that, it's a great thing to be able to do, but that comes with pressure, right? Of course, um, it comes. You know that it's a. I guess that's the ideal kind of pressure you want, though. But um, to use. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, the fans support, use it to our advantage. This is something the girls have wanted for a long time. Um, and, you know, they all, well, Heather and Joe have um, very good Fed Cup records and, you know, they've always been open about how much they would love to play in front of a home crowd. They've seen how it's inspired um, the men's team and, um, you know, us women, we want the same as well. Um, and um, it can certainly be used as a home advantage. Um but uh, also, I think next year, this group stage is probably going to be the toughest it's ever been. Mm. Um, so I think you have the likes of Ukraine, Serbia, I mean, Croatia, po- uh, not Poland. Poland won't be in our group, but mm. still potentially, you know, Estonia, Denmark, all with very good um, high-ranked players. Um, you know, we've, we're expecting it to be very competitive, as it always is. Um, and I think... From the players, I think they probably would love for everyone to acknowledge how difficult it is, how difficult the format has been over the last few years, and what a great achievement it's been that we've been able to get out of the group stages um, the last couple of years um, into the playoffs. Brilliant. Um, so that should that should never be underestimated, and you know that the format playing that two singles robbers double and then followed by doubles. Uh, back-to-back days is physically, mentally grueling for the players. Mm. Um, Well, it's going to be an exciting week. I'm really looking forward to it. Anne, thanks so much for joining us and I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks. Last thing, of course, we'd love as many fans to come uh, to support the girls as possible. Just so you know, tickets will be available on the LCA website in a few weeks. So hopefully everyone can keep checking back and then uh, sign up and get down to Bath. Yes, that was, of course, Team GB Fed Cup captain Anne Kjelthavong. It's always great to be able to talk to people inside these teams, especially with such an amazing generation of young female British tennis players on the way up, right? Yes, I've, I'm really, really excited to see what's coming up with these uh, young guys. I mean, I think there was some sort of stat about we'd broken a record for the number of British players inside the top 300 not too long mm. ago. Um, and since that kind of record's broken, a lot of them have pushed quite high up in the um, hundreds. Yeah. Um, there's what? a whole gaggle of them sort of around, I think, about 150, yeah. which is really promising because it means there's actual competition and depth. I know that Anne, that, that day when we spoke, had been on court with, I think, Harriet Dart and Katie Swan. Yeah. So that that's great to see that she is able to go and play a role in their development. Going to make her life a little tougher uh, with team selections, hopefully, as well. Yeah, it's the kind of, you know, obviously sort of Conter and Watson are no-brainers, but then who do you pick alongside them? So... I think it's nice to have those decisions. And also, it'll you know keep the girls at the top motivated. Yep. You know, you can't... Maybe Conta can probably rest on the laurels a little bit, but Watson certainly can't. So, uh, it's great news for British tennis. There's been less good news for British tennis on the men's side this year. I think that's fair to say. It's obviously... Now the year we've come to the end of Andy Murray's season. He had been scheduled to play twice in the Far East. 
uh, after he lost to Fernando Vadasco in Shenzhen, he then pulled out of his final tournament of the season. So we're now able to look at 2018 for Andy Murray, which I think only totals 12 competitive matches. It's not what we had hoped for him this year, but when you take away the... If you if we go back to December, we were hoping he might be fit for the Australian Open. Obviously, from that standpoint, it's been a disappointing year. I thought it would be quite fun for us, seeing as we're looking back at three players today, to kind of give them a grade, mm. you know, like a kind of letter. And I think this is the hardest one to do in many ways, because, you know, do we judge Andy Murray by his previous standards? Because obviously, no, that's an F. Mm. But, you know, with a bit of... I guess sympathy of what he's been through and the kind of struggles he's had to deal with, you know, I'd I'd give it closer to maybe like a C. Right. I think he's done okay. I think there there've been clear physical struggles. You know, Washington was arguably his best tournament. Mm. Um, obviously beat Kyle there and then played that brilliant late night match uh, that finished around two minutes past three in the morning, but then was forced to pull out. And you know that was kind of like. I think that summed up the season nicely for me, that every time it's started to get going, it's just been stopped immediately. It uh, feels like it's been two steps forwards, one step back quite yeah. a lot. Certainly, yeah, that win over Marius Coppel was remarkable. And I think that sobbing on court demonstrated how far Murray had come and also how low he'd gone. I've no doubt that there was a point, you know, he had this recovery period and then he had to have the surgery that he'd always put off. For years he'd put off the surgery. And I've no doubt that there was a point early in the year, maybe in April or May, when his recovery plateaued, when he thought, I actually might not be able to play tennis again. And I think that coming through that absolutely epic struggle, all right, against the world number 93, but it wasn't about who he was playing. It was about being out on court for all that time and being able to pull through it. I think that was the moment when he realised, oh, thank goodness. You know, there was almost relief more than anything else. And, And we are now, since then, I think he's also accepted that he wasn't going to be fit by the end of the year. He wasn't going to be, you know, playing the the China swing with any sort of vim or ability to beat top players. So if I were to grade his second half of his year, I'd, I'd be looking at a C plus, maybe a B minus, because he's he's managed to get sets under his belt. You know, I think he went four sets with James Duckworth at the U.S. Open. Um, you know, he got through some big matches there, and he you know, look, he beat David Goffin in China. That's no mean feat. I mean, of course, Goffan's ended his season immediately after that as well, which, kind of, you know, I said that last week. I, I wasn't sure what was going on exactly with Goffan, um, mm. but it was clear he was nowhere near good enough. Um, I mean, from that perspective, you'd maybe look at the win over Edmund as his best of the season. Um, I'd say his win over Vavrinka was actually his most comprehensive. That was yes. the one. Um, but, you know, Stan's never been particularly strong on grass. And um, was also... And also cropped himself. Top 200 um, and, and has been struggling for, for fitness. But but Stan's season's kind of gone on a upward trajectory since then, mm. really. Um, and Andy's has, has it had its moments, but not... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult to kind of say it's been good or bad. Um, it's been what it's been. Yeah. The big question now is, will he be fit for Australia? Will people still look at him in the same light? of what he was before this injury or are they going to have in their head right this guy is incredibly vulnerable Um, because as Djokovic saw you know I think once players believe they can beat you it it makes a big shift when Federer came back he just turned up and beat everyone and you're like oh oh, oh, god he's back you know but as soon as that little bit of doubt there it gets pretty tough and Murray's going to have to deal with that as well as his own physical problems next season let's move on to 
the two women who've ended their season, the two top women. Uh, who do you want to start with, Maria Sharapova or Serena Williams? I think let's do Serena first because she's also been on the comeback trail. Mm. So that that seems a nicer segue. <laughs> Very smooth, George. If you don't mention the segue, <laughs> it's much smoother. Otherwise, people think we just make it up as we go along. We don't. It's very meticulously planned. Yes, Serena, of course, coming back as well from a different type of... I mean, I don't even want to say ailment. You know, she went away and had a baby and started a family. Um, it, it was, it's a sporting ailment. I'd yeah, say. I suppose yeah, so. I suppose so. Look, but, you know, it was brilliant to see her come back, you know, in that way. And it's a slightly different Serena. You know, I never really used to follow much of her on social media, although a lot of other people did. And, and now I'm sort of fascinated by it because it's just not something you really have. Um, although I am always minded that when Serena got disqualified from the US Open... Uh, against Kim Clijsters, uh, Kim celebrated with her 18-month daughter on court. So you know th- there are there are some parallels here, but she's not the first woman to do it. But she's certainly the most high-profile woman to do it. Where where would you grade her this year, based on tennis yeah, alone? I think I think an A minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where's the you- minus coming from, George? I hope it's tennis related. Well. Yeah, I mean, it is tennis-related. But, I mean, okay, she's reached two Grand Slam finals. Yeah. That was good. She did okay in the French Open as well before pulling out um, from the other against uh, the other lady we're going to talk about next, Maria Sharapova. Mm. Um, you know, whether she pulled out of that because she was a bit worried about losing that great record against Sharapova, I'm not sure. Mm. I kind of feel like if it was any other player in the world, she probably would have turned up and played that. But mm. maybe that's the cynic in me. Yeah. Um, so, you know... She beat two seeds on the way to get there, though. You know, she beat Ashley yeah, Barty and she did. Julia Gorgas. So I they're, think, they're, she showed early form there. I was critical of her run at Wimbledon. I didn't think that reflected her form particularly. I didn't. I wasn't. What that do you imp- mean? I wasn't impressed with the, the caliber of player she was beating. I thought she'd kind of had that laid out in front of her a little bit. Um, I mean, I know you can she only did, beat I mean, what she you didn't, can beat. She didn't beat a top fifty player. Until the semi-finals. And the semi-finalist, it was her first Grand Slam semi-finalist. So even there, you know, I didn't think it was a very strong run and it showed in the final to me. But of course, when you consider she'd had a baby <laughs> less than a year before, it's very hard to mark someone down. Um, I would just say her form a little bit outside the slams is probably where that minus comes in. Mm. Um and, and I realise I'm being harsh. I am being harsh here. And maybe that is the slight tainting of the uh, US Open final and mm. how it all ended. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think, you know, by her own lofty standards, if she'd have won a Grand Slam, it would have been an A. But A- minus for me. What about you? Um, I think, yeah, the form outside the Slams has been poor, but I think she's reached two Grand Slam finals and uh, the French Open, what she got to the last 16... So if you take those in isolation and given that they always take much more importance than the events outside it, you know, to, to maybe the non-tennis watching public, if you like, they'll always just look at the slams and go, oh, Serena made two finals this year. That's a success for me. I think it's an A, um, especially given the fact that she came in with so little tennis coming into July. I think she'd only played eight competitive games of tennis. Let's move on. Let's look at Maria Sharapova, who's also ended her season. What is it, just just briefly, what is it with Sharapova ending her season, Simona Halep obviously is injured as well, you know, it seems like, as we had with the men last year and the year before, it seems like now this is kicking on the women's tour, we've got a lot of injuries, is it just a coincidence? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure Sharapova's massively injured, I think she just wants a period of rest, it's mm. more like a kind of niggly thing, 
Right. Um, so I think that's more a kind of, okay, I can't make it to the WTA finals. Um, am I that bothered about picking up points here? Still, I presume, I haven't checked this, but I presume she'd still be seeded for the Australian Open, for example. Mm. Um, you know, what does Maria Sharapova have to gain by turning up playing a few smaller events? Um, so I, I think that's what motivated the decision. Um, How have you judged her year? It's a really tough one to say because I remember watching her in Madrid and I was kind of thinking, right, Sharapova's turned the corner a bit here. Um, she put in some really impressive displays. Um, I mean, she she brushed off Miladinovic, who's a proper player. Yeah. You know, that, that looks like the best win there. Yeah, but I mean... The, I don't know, I just thought the form had stepped up a little bit because before that, I mean, I can't remember exact form, but I feel like she hadn't won many matches. In fact, she, she, arrived, she arrived in Madrid losses. on the back of four consecutive four. defeats. Yeah. To, okay, to Kerber, Osaka, Garcia, and a qualifier in Doha. So that there was a run there which suggested she wasn't playing very good tennis, which she quickly proved not to be the case. Yeah, and then I think from Madrid, it was quarterfinals Madrid, semis in Rome, and quarterfinals at Roland Garros. Yeah. Um, the way she went out in Paris was disappointing. I believe it was Muguruza. Yeah. Three games. So, yeah. So that, you know, that was a kind of, I don't know, I, I felt like she was on an upward trajectory, peaking at Roland Garros. And then I was kind of expecting her to carry on in that direction, really. And it, it just hasn't happened. Um, so Do you, I, Have you seen any of the Sharapova of old in her? <laughs> Does it look like what we expect from Maria Sharapova and the kind of player who can challenge the likes of Williams next year? I, I'm worried for her. I'm I'm worried for her. I don't think so. I I don't think Maria Sharapova's been that good for a while. Um, I mean, obviously, obviously, with the kind of drugs ban, but I mean, last year she was bad, and you gave her the benefit of the doubt because she had a few more injuries. This year she's come back. She's had a full season under her belt, pretty much. And has she progressed anywhere near enough? You know, I I, I feel like that clay. We're talking about three or four tournaments she's played well in, mm. for me. Um, she's okay at the US, um, but not amazingly. Um, yeah, I, I think she deserves the lowest grade. I, I think, by her standards, we're looking at a D or an E, which probably sounds very mean now that's come out of my mouth. But Yeah, I think, you, you know. I'm going to make you pick one. Is it a D or an E, George? You D, mi- D minus. D minus. I, was, I thought you were going to say E plus, and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen an E plus. <laughs> I'm not sure you can get pluses down there, can you? No, I just don't think it's worth it. Like Once you're down there, it just doesn't really... I don't think it's you're worth almost it. almost a D. Yeah. I think you're maybe being a little harsh. You know, I don't think we can underestimate the ring rust of, of spending all that time away from tennis i think it does take something out of your game for a long period of time but compared to serena yeah for I example, suppose... and that's where we're looking isn't it? this is a five-time grand slam champion mm, i suppose if you if you take her by those standards yes um she had that big dip in form and she hasn't had the second half of the year quite the you know she hasn't had the second half of the year we thought she might be able to as you say so i would probably be a little more generous and maybe look at a c minus maybe a d d plus that area but it's not been a great year. I mean, how old is she now? She's 31, 32. 31. You'd expect that to be this to be a period of her career when she's more mature, her game is more nuanced and a bit more stamina. I I genuinely don't think she would be playing right now if that drugs debacle hadn't happened. Mm. And that I and that's the kind of feeling I've got with her career. You know, she started so young, Sharapova. I know you're looking at Serena playing pretty much a 20-year career and that might sound a bit weird, but it, it always felt to me like she was 
planning on calling it a day around 30, 31, 32, because she's got many other business interests or whatever. And I don't know. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if next season was her last. Mm. And I think she needs a really, really big season for it not to be her last. Even if it is a big season, she might decide that's it, go out on a high. Mm. But she's a long way off that at the minute. So we'll have to wait and see. You heard it first. Maria Sharapova is retiring next year. George Belshaw is <laughs> with Federer in Geneva. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to lose a lot of big stars in tennis next year. I tell you, if Love Tennis Podcast gets anywhere near it. Right, let's move on. Shanghai Masters 1000 coming up this week. Uh, slightly weakened field. Rafa Nadal obviously not playing, but still almost all of the top ten. Federer, Del Potro, Zverev, Anderson. You know, plenty of uh, talent on show, and also. A lot of points, obviously, be it being a, a thousand series. What do you make of the tournament? This is always a slightly odd tournament, Shanghai, isn't it? Because often you've got a lot of blokes out injured or, or who've ended their seasons. Yeah, I mean, Rogers defending the title. Um, I think it's quite a significant week and period in general just because of what Rafa's having dropping off his ranking points. Obviously, he won in Beijing last year and he reached the final in Shanghai. So that's a big chunk of points coming off. Novak didn't play. So Novak's basically got a free swing at this. If he wins in Shanghai, I think there's been like 35 points between him and Rafa uh, in the in the live rankings, which at this stage of the season, ignore the ATP rankings, ignore them, because you'll still see Jack Sock somewhere near the top 20. It's about 280. Mm. You know, <laughs> ignore it. The live rankings is where we're at right now. And the, the race is pretty tight. If, um, you know, if Novak has a good run here, he will... He'll close that points gap knowing that he's far superior on all the t- surfaces coming up, finishing the season, all kind of indoor hard. Uh, he's got very, very good record at the ATP finals where, you know, as you and I were there last year, Rafa had to hobble out. Um, so the- As he has done about five times in his career, it's not a tournament he traditionally manages to hold on for, does he's it? He's never won it. Exactly. So- I mean, look, so... What this looks like, if we're talking about year-end world number one, which traditionally is a trophy lifted at the O2 in East London, you think Djokovic will catch him, do you? I'm pretty certain he will, yeah. I mean, nothing's a given, <clears throat> and in many ways it's good to have the points on the board, um, as they say in the Premier League. <laughs> but, you know, I would not at all be surprised to see Novak win in Shanghai. I'd be not surprised to see him go far in Paris, He's saying he might play one of Basel or Vienna. Oh, really? If I were him, I'd turn up in Vienna. Um, <laughs> because Roger will be in Basel. <laughs> may as well. Um, and then ATP finals, he's just got a way better chance of taking extra points there. I just don't see Rafa holding on a 1,000-point lead. What do you expect Rafa to do in the city? You're talking about Djokovic's schedule. What do you think Rafa's will look like? Uh, I think he's planning to come back for Paris. But um, so he's not going to play any of the indoors on the way up. So he's not going to play swing indoors. So. I think his uncle said Paris. So, mm. you know, I'm pretty sure he's not won there either. Mm. Um, so would he beat Federer and Djokovic to win Paris? And, of course, Del Potro's playing really well. You know, don't don't necessarily rule Del Potro and Federer out of this number one race. They are still... What it there. looks like it's going it might come down to is the group draw in London. Because by by what you're saying, it looks like they're probably going to come to London pretty close on points. Probably Djokovic with a 300-point advantage or something like that. And they'll be the top two in the race, so they'll be in different groups. And then, really, it's just about who you might actually get drawn with. Do you get drawn with Federer? Do you get drawn with 
Zverev, who might might cause you a lot of problems in one match in the group stages. It it could be extremely close and come down to the luck of the draw, mightn't it? Yeah, I mean, Zverev's placement could be pretty interesting in that. Um, you know, if it was to be a group of Rafa, Roger and Zverev, I'd not back Rafa to come out that group mm. right now. Because it's um, just such it's such a bad surface for him. It's bad conditions, and also his body will be be giving up. Yeah, uh, uh, basically. <laughs> I mean, it, what you'll also likely see, by the way, at these ATP World Tour finals, if it, if it stays as it is, and frankly, there's not much challenge, you'll have six guys thirty plus, and then Zverev and team, the only ones under thirty. In terms, if we look back at the year, and I don't want to spend too much time in it because we will do it later, but it it doesn't bode well for this next generation that's supposed to be coming through, that there are still so many guys in their 30s dominating the game, doesn't it? I mean, I we're, don't We're going to have yet another oldest ever year-end world number one, Yeah, of course. Uh, you'd imagine so. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm very reticent to kind of hammer the next gen because one of their guys is in there. You've got City Pass at 12. You know, that's, that's not a terrible effort. I, I don't know. Obviously, Federer, Djokovic and Nadal will have skewed it from their generation but i don't know how many other 18 to 21 year olds have been making the tour finals on a regular basis um for that long so mm. zverev's established in there um sissy pass won't make it but has come close um yeah i mean look it, this is a change in sport as a whole isn't it really i think mm. players are going to get older if sports science is better um so I, I, I'm not going to take a swing at the next gen. We can take a swing at the gen just below that. <laughs> you know, where are all these 25 to 30 year olds? Yeah. Um, team will be there. He's 25, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, the answer, the answer, where are all these 25 year olds? They're, they're, they're in the sort of the nether zone, you know, outside the top 20, inside the top 50, unable to really break through. I've got to ask you for predictions because we're getting to the end of the pod. Uh, I think we have to try and predict our world end, well, year end, world end number one. Who's going to be number world one end. at the end yeah. of the world? That, that'll be the biggest prediction. You don't mind Federer and Sharapova retiring. <laughs> they're not going to retire because they're all going to be pulverised in the world ending this year. Year end number one. Yes. Man. Djokovic. Yeah, you're pretty confident in that, it would seem. I just think points on the board, it doesn't take a lot for, to go wrong for Djokovic. You know, one bad day. Uh, and Nadal racks up this big lead. I- I'm going to stick by Rafa. I don't love it because I think... I'm going to make a push for Delpo? No, I'm not going to make a push for Delpo because he's two and a half <laughs> thousand points behind, which <laughs> even with a reasonable amount of time to go is a long, long way. So yeah, I'm going to stick with Rafa, I think. I, ju- I just think points on the board. I-, I know it's a cliche, but I really do think that the better the devil you know in some way, so... It'll be. I think it'll be really close though, and it'll give the ATP World Tour Finals a real edge again, which is the important thing. Thank you very much for coming in, George. Um, injured or otherwise, I've been James Gray. He's been George Belshaw. We'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.